right now on Higher Journeys with Alexis Brooks. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Higher Journeys. And if it's your first time here, of course, welcome. Well, I'm doing a little chuckling these days because invariably when I try to plan something that would include the show that I do weekly, it just doesn't work out. It has not been working out in the last couple of weeks. Well, you know what? Ultimately, it does work out because it ends up being exactly what it's supposed to be. But the interview that you're about to see with form, former uh, naval radar operator, and I'm going to give you his, his formal title in a minute because it's long. Uh, my interview with him that you're absolutely going to love was originally planned as a video one on one. And uh, the last couple of times, this just has not been working out. Now we know the internet is definitely strained with so many of us uh, working from home these days and people, uh, students working from uh, home with their schoolwork, etc. So I'm not going to sweat it. We ended up having to go to audio. It was still a wonderful conversation. And it's a unique conversation, because I'm going to be engaging Kevin in a conversation that has less to do with the encounter that I know many of you are familiar with. We're, of course, talking about the 2004, what has been called the TikTok incident or the Nimitz incident, um, that which was the impetus for a whole lot of hoopla in the mainstream having to do with the Pentagon's uh, 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 secret pro UFO program or UAP program, etc. Kevin Day was obviously at the center of that uh, for what he witnessed. But today we're going to be going into the personal side of his story. And when I tell you it's got a lot of layers and a lot of dimensions and a lot of blessings, I mean it. Let me give you a little of the background for those of you who don't know, and you'll have to forgive me, I've got to read this because it's very, very uh, specific, very, very, not, not something that I can memorize. Kevin Day is a retired United States Navy senior chief petty officer, a former operations specialist and top gun air intercept controller with more than 20 years experience in strike group air defense, including wartime operations. He's an expert operator of a highly advanced spy one radar system with years of service on board the Aegis or AEGIS equipped ships, including the Vincennes, I don't know if I'm saying that right, Chosen and Princeton. Kevin has logged hundreds of air-to-air -air intercepts of suspect aircraft in both training and wartime operations. And that's just a little tidbit of his bio. Of course, we're going to have the full bio uh, available to you actually on the Higher Journeys website. Nonetheless, that's, that's who Kevin is. You've seen Kevin for sure, and you certainly have heard his story. But again, we, we've had, been planning this interview for some months now, and uh, with everything going on, again, I was wondering if we'd be able to pull it off. And we did have a little bit of a little bit of a glitch here and there. As a matter of fact, you're going to hear where there was a big glitch at the end. But nonetheless, we were able to go on with the show. It was wonderful. And if you've heard Kevin's story, if you know that when I say story, I'm talking about the the chronology of what happened, what he witnessed back in 2004 off the co coast of San Diego uh, on the USS Princeton, where he witnessed uh, for several days an anomalous spectrum of UFOs or UAPs. Again, this is not what this is about. This is about his personal, how his life changed personally, and it changed in big ways. So without further ado, I present to you my conversation with Kevin Day. Enjoy. Kevin Day, my friend, and I think I can call you a friend so quickly. <laughs> we just met yesterday. But we have been having, even though it's been a broken up conversation, because we have not been able to get on Skype. And as a matter of fact, Kevin is, I believe, outside right now on a landline at a, a family member's home. 
because we just couldn't make the technology work, guys. So, but we had to bring this talk to you. We wanted to let you in on what we are discussing uh, today. Of course, we're talking about COVID-19. Of course, we're talking about this drastic alteration or editing of our life. And uh, I think, Kevin, I want to start out talking about that. We'd be remiss if we didn't bring that up first. And then we're going to get into some real juicy stuff that you want to share with our audience. So for, let me say welcome to Higher hey. Journeys for the first time. Let's well, thank you. It's my honor and pleasure to be here with you today, Alexis. Oh, the pleasure is mine. Pleasure is mine. So, Kevin, we had we were talking offline before we clicked the record button, and I was asking you how you're doing. So I, I'd love for you to share with our audience in this age of surreal, how is Kevin Day doing? You know, Alexis, I'm pretty blessed because of where I live and, um, you know, um, the fact I'm retired and I'm kind of um, in a place where it's easy to isolate compared to a lot of the other people that are not as blessed or um, in a situation or as fortunate as, as I've been. And I really, I really, um, I know that, you know, I, and I, I know that. And because of that, I'm taking measures to, um, my, my greatest fear in this, Alexis, is that I unknowingly um, contaminate somebody. I, I just, the thought of doing that just really troubles me. So it makes me stay home and follow the CDC's guidelines and my local, uh, my local guidelines. Haven't even been down to the golf course because we had to close it, you know. Mm. Everything is closed except for the stores. Right. In the gas station, in the pharmacy. Yeah, I think that's pretty much the way it is across the board. I know that each jurisdiction, each state is sort of following their own sort of um, specific guidelines, but I think it's it's pretty much the same throughout. So have you been able to get, so I know you're sitting outside right now, but have you been able to take some walks and get a little bit of sun? I know it's raining. Oh, too. yeah. Oh, yeah. I live on uh, nine acres and oh, okay. um, there's kinds of trees and um, I go out and I hit my big thing is I like to hit golf balls. So I've been going out a lot, hitting golf balls over the trees, around <laughs> the trees, and through the trees. Beautiful. <laughs> some, some days, some days I'll be out there for hours on end, just hitting golf balls. There must be a thousand golf balls on my property <laughs> in, in the well, grass, you know. Well, as long as you're not hitting any, aiming for or hitting any wildlife, I think you'll be fine. <laughs> no, I'm not. I don't do that, or windows for that matter. Right, yeah. right. Oh my gosh. Well, that's good. I'm glad that it sounds. You sound well, and. Uh, you know, we take it day by day. As I said to you before, we had planned this uh, video chat, as many people are doing these days, didn't want to work. And then you had said, well, you can send me some questions. And I said, nope, absolutely not. I want the people to hear your voice. I want the people to feel you. <laughs> and we, we're going to do this voice to voice. So God willing, once we uh, once we hang up and I go into production, because computers been acting really weird, guys. I don't know. Now, I know the internet is definitely slower because we've got so many people working and, and going to school online. But uh, yeah, whatever. So we're not going to sweat it. We're just going to let it happen. And I bet you it's going to be one of the best conversations I have had all year on Higher Journeys, right? So. Thank you. You know, and I, I did have another thought about this COVID-19 stuff. Um, honestly, Alexis, I think this is, there's a silver lining to this for sure. I'm trying to look beyond this and um, trying to think ahead a little bit. And I guess that's why I kind of had the nickname of the, the seer. Because I see what's about to happen. I really do. Um, for one thing, um, I think a lot of really smart people are finally realized that having all of our critical supply chains and all of our, a lot of our critical manufacturing in China is a really dumb idea. Mm. We need to bring that stuff home. And that's going to that's gonna create a lot of jobs when that does happen, and it's going to happen, believe me. And 
there's other benefits to this thing. I mean, as bad as this um, coronavirus is and it's horrible, man, it could be so so much worse. And we, the world was not prepared for this. So the other good news out of this is um, the next time, God forbid, this ever happens again, I think the world's going to be a lot more prepared next time. Mm. I really do. And I'm really hanging on to those hopes. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah. Look for the good. Look for the good as best I can in this, and I, that's what I see coming. I love that attitude. I love that attitude, and you and I, I think, have shared shared that sentiment. We spoke. We had a chance to speak uh, offline a little bit yesterday, even though we couldn't couldn't get on air. And we, I think, we share that sentiment. There are, as I have said many times, I'll say it again: the magic exists within the madness, the crystal within the crisis, the diamond within the dust. But it's up to us to determine what that magic crystal or diamond is and and where it how it'll be utilized. So there's a spiritual component. There's a practical component that you just brought up. Uh, But yeah, there are going to be many blessings to come, you know, living side by side with the madness. Sure. So uh, we implore each and every one of you out there. I call my audience the journeyers. So I implore each of the journeyers to go find that little nugget of gold because it's there masked as craziness. So there you have it. Amen. 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 And amen again. <laughs> well, listen, shall we delve into and I have to say, guys, I am so excited, delighted and grateful that Kevin Day has decided to have a conversation with me and with all of us that he hasn't really had with too many. Now, I know you've given a lot of interviews thus far. We, we know your background at this point. You have done the circuit, if you will, in, in the most positive of ways. You've been speaking at conferences about the famous Nimitz encounter. We're talking about 2004. We're talking about the anomaly that I know is has made an indelible print on your mind forevermore. We know the, uh, I, I, I should say, many of you out there know the, the story at this point. And we're going to make sure we have a couple of links to interviews that you've given, Kevin, that I've seen where you'll go into the, the, the chronology of actually what happened. That's not what we're going to do here today, though. We're going to talk Good. about something that you shared with me is perhaps the most integral or, or, or pa- passionate part of this whole thing to you, or important, let's just say. And that is the effects, the effect is, uh, of what this has had on you who you have become as a result of it. Let's get into that. You know, where, where do we ready to begin? roll. Well, let me start at the beginning. Okay. You know, after when this event went down um, in 2004, I was really, really frustrated with because I, I knew for a fact those objects were real. And I knew they were, at the very least, they were a safety to air navigation because I was an air intercept controller. That was my business. I used to design um, air defense exercises for our, our strike groups. I was a senior guy in the strike group doing that on the enlisted side of the house. Um, I worked directly for the air defense commander on the USS Princeton. And, then, and when this happened and no one seemed to care about it, I was really troubled by that And you know, it was like a couple of weeks after the exercise was over, we went back to San Diego. I transferred to what uh, turned out to be my last command in the Navy, uh, Commander Naval Air Forces in Coronado, California, right across the Coronado Bay Bridge from the uh, naval from the naval station. And you know, I, I, I tried to tell people, and no one wanted to listen. So I, I retired, and um, my concerns didn't retire. Though I started to have really, really bad nightmares. Um, hmm. My fears manifested into some. Um, astrological type dreams like end of the world type stuff and just out of the blue and you know we all have bad dreams and the dreams themselves didn't really bug me that much but 
when I would remember the dream the next day, that really did bug me, and it started to affect my work. And um, and at this point, at this point in time, I had I didn't relate what I was going through back to the tic tac thing. I I thought maybe well, I'm just having trouble transitioning out of the Navy, and this is what people sometimes go through. But anyway, things went um, to hell in a handbasket. I ended up um, quitting my job, and I ended up moving to Sacramento. I um, ended up going to school, which was a good thing. And during that time, my my wife was became really frustrated, so we ended up, we ended up separating. And I graduated um, from Sac State, uh, got my master's in education technology, moved back to my hometown in um, southern Oregon, a little town called Cape Junction where I grew up. And during this time, I had become obsessed with an idea. And this is part of the phenomenon, by the way. People, um, Diane, Diane uh, Pasolka, the author of American Cosmic, yes. talks a lot, a lot about this in her book. People become obsessed after encounters in some... And I'm going to get to the reason why I'm going into depth on this in just a minute. But I ended up in the wilderness. I became obsessed with this idea that I could find the mother load to a mining claim that had been in our family since 1918. And the only reason why they shut it down is because World War II broke out and everyone went to the four, the four directions on the compass. And then by the time they got back home, uh, water giants had been banned or outlawed and they couldn't mine the way they were doing it anymore. And I don't have a... a geology uh, or geology background or anything but for for some reason I was directed and guided through that whole process and lo and behold I did find the source of the gold I really did it turned out it was um a hundred and fifty four million year old sea bottom that had somehow got stuck on dry land that is called an ophiolite and this one is called the Josephine ophiolite and about a hundred feet below the ground at our mining claim is there's a major um, deposit of gold ore that had been laid down by um, hydrothermal vents out in the out on the bottom of the ocean a long, 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 long time ago. And um, that, that became the source of the gold. And uh, the reason, one of the reasons why I was able to figure that out is because before my grandfather had passed, I was interviewing him about this. He said, Kevin, man, you got it wrong. We, we're not, we weren't mining nuggets and stuff. In fact, the gold that we found um, was dust in the dirt, and if you looked at it through a microscope, it was it looked like snowflakes. Hmm. And that kind of told me that where whatever that source of that gold was, it wasn't coming from very far away. Otherwise, it, instead of looking like a snowflake, it would be all bent up and look like a little b- tiny ball bearing. So um, putting um, that clue together with some other um, tales that the family had told and putting it together with some satellite imagery that I was able to get a hold of and um, the geologic research that had been published in the area. And I kind of revalidated without knowing I was even doing it, a field of geology called geomorphology. Hmm. And I, w- I was able to use uh, geomorphology to actually um, discover um, not only where that, where that gold was coming from, but how it came to be there. And the, the cool part of this story is um, no one in my family wants to mine it ever because it's right in the middle of the wilderness. And there is no way in hell I'm going to my grave knowing I tore up that beautiful place to make a buck. Mm. That's uh, and, Now, bear in mind, I, 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 I still hadn't put two and two together on this whole UFO thing. I and, mean, you know, my mm. I, I was living in the wilderness, man. I was um, homeless. I, was, I didn't have no money left. I was pretty much rudderless. I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. And I didn't relate any of these things back back to this situation. And a funny thing happened when we were back out in the mountains. My cousin was back there with me. And uh, for some unknown reason, I started saying thank you to God. 
and I've never been a really religious person. I don't have a religion. But for some reason, I started telling God thank you, and I really mean it when I say it, you know? It's from my heart. I know you do. Oh, my gosh. And when that happened, my life started to change. You can tell I get emotional about this because it's so real to me, you know? And um, a funny thing started to happen. Like, um, it was really hot in the summer, right? When we were back there, it was was the summer of uh, 2014. And... I would say something like, man, I'd sure like some ice cream. Man, it's hot out here. And a funny thing would happen, like, the next day or the day after, a friend of ours would show up with ice cream. (laughs) And this started to happen a lot. Like, we would mention something. We started to play games with it. Like, my cousin would say something weird, like, marbles, Kevin. And in the next couple days, a a marble or marbles would somehow make an entrance into our life. It was just bizarre. We, We started playing games with it. For some reason, we or I were able to seemingly manifest stuff. I know that sounds crazy as hell. No, but it, it doesn't. It continues to happen. <laughs> it's happened so much that there's got to be something to it. And it, it, as it turns out, it became really handy because when I came down off the mountain, you know, winter chased us off the mountain, I ended up at a friend's, on a friend's ranch in a 1974 um, 22-foot trailer that my sister bought me on. It was staying on his ranch waiting for the second house on his ranch to become available. I was going to rent it for him. But um, he ended up renting it to someone else. They wanted, they were a medical marijuana grower, and I just couldn't touch that kind of deal. So I told him, I know, I understand, Bob, and I understand. I'm, I'm going to go into the house. I'm going to go into town. I'm going to find a house. And he wished me luck. So I went into town, and I sat down at a little restaurant here in town and um, was looking on Craigslist because my credit was still really bad from the downturn in 08. I had lost several houses and. When my life went to it. And um, there was nothing. So I ordered breakfast, and um, I got done. I got back on Craigslist, and all of a sudden there was this little house uh, for sale, $70,000. And the weird thing is, Alexis, I knew the house. I'd been there many times when I was a little kid. <laughs> um, I was um, raised as a Joe's Witness. I'm no longer one, of course, today. But um, my mom used to take me there because the, the older lady that lived there, she really liked me a lot, and we used to stop there all the time. I knew this house, so I e- immediately emailed the, uh, the the current owners at the time, and they e- emailed me right back, and within uh, one day I was in escrow. $20,000 down, a $50,000 note that they carried, and I was in a house. Um, I thought it was a miracle. <clears throat> I mean, dog, dog agreed, you know? <laughs> we finally had a home again. Right. May I, may I interject? And, and I'm going to let you take take a little bit of a breath because I know you're very emotional about it. I'm getting emotional and I, I know that the audience will be as well in listening to this incredible story. These incidents. I'm sorry. It gets better. I know. I know. Well, I'm going to let you yeah. take a breath and think, line it up. We're going to go as long as we need to. We were, we've been taking our uh, episodes a little bit shorter, but I, there's a lot to, to, cut, to discuss here. And what else do y'all have to do these days, right? You're at home. <laughs> so, but listen, yeah. uh, Kevin, I want to bring up a couple of things. Now, I'm familiar with some of what you just explained because you were kind enough to send me some, some documents where you have uh, chronicled some of these things, of these very, very beautifully anomalous things that had happened to you, even though initially you did not connect this back to your incident. Um, this reminds me, as I was going through this yesterday, I said to myself, this is really uh, interestingly familiar to me as it relates to what are called contact modalities. 
I'm sure you're familiar with the free organization. They've since renamed themselves, but that's the uh, Edgar Mitchell uh, Foundation for Research into Extraterrestrial and Extraordinary Experiences, led by uh, Ray Hernandez, as well as Mary Rodwell. Uh, you know, I, I know you know Mary. Yeah. Uh, so so we've, we're, we're looking at something here because we're, we're talking about uh, uh, synchronicities happening, happening constantly. I call them synchronicity clusters. I do a lot of work in this area, so I'm familiar with how that seems to connect into other anomalous experiences, things that are happening in one's life and synchronicities will be sort of, you know, you're surrounded by, by them, including psychic effects. And I know, you're, I know you're, you've had that, and I know you're going to talk about that as well. But I want to bring in at this point the val- something called the Valet Davis effect, which I was somewhat familiar with, but not to the extent that you are at this point. Let's, I want to bring it to that. Because this is where the what I call contact modalities come into play. Let's talk about the Valet Davis effect. Well, you know what? Maybe I'm jumping ahead. Why don't you come back now, now that you've taken a breath? <laughs> I wanted to give you a little time. And talk about some of the other fascinating things that were happening in addition to all of these blessings, synchronicities. What else was happening with you that was piquing your interest? Well, I'm... Um... I think it's best to um, kind of bring them up as I describe what happened next. Perfect. Once I was in the house again. Is that okay? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I started to have a lot of free time, and I had heard the local golf course here was um, having a lot of financial problems because, um, you know, this used to be a booming lumber place, used to be a big booming mining place, used to be a big booming cattle place. All those industries are gone now. It's a struggling little town. And I said, you know what? I got free time. I'm going to go down there and volunteer. So I started showing up, and I did every job down there from watering the course at night for free to the last thing I did was reopen the kitchen. And during that time, I'd met an older gentleman. His name was Robert Luswick. He was in World War II in Pearl Harbor. He was actually on a submarine out to sea when the Japanese attacked. But he came back into port, and uh, he had the grim um, task of doing rescue and recovery operations. And he was older, and I, I didn't know it at the time, but he had a, about a year left to live when I met him. And I really liked the guy. He seemed to really like me. I went over to his house. We shared a lot of stories and stuff. And I didn't know it at the time, but he had told his family, hey, when I pass, um, none of you kids want this house because you're all off doing other stuff. I'll give Kevin, at least give him a chance to buy it. And you know what? They honored that, and I was able to buy that house. Um, believe it or not, I sold my other house out on Holland Loop Road, the one I had bought for 70000 two mm-hmm. years before then. I sold it for $175,000 all cash in a 30-day escrow, and it took every single penny of that money to get me qualified for a private lender so I could buy my new house. And another funny thing that happened, too, is um, one of the sons was still living there, and he didn't have a place to go yet. He was waiting for a, a house to become available himself. And my sister came over, and they met, and they ended up getting married. Hmm. <clears throat> Incredible, you know, and I, I just absolutely, I love the place. It's a nine acres, got two houses on nine acres. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm helping to take care of some other people now that um, don't have no place to live, and I just, I really, really love it there. I just really do. And the reason why I'm going through this is because um, I had forgotten all about the 2004 incident. You know, and, um, and another thing happened, because back in um, 08, after I retired, because no one would listen to me, I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write a story. I'm going to write, yeah. I'm going to fictionalize it, and I'm going to write the story about the Nimitz event, and I'm 
going to write some other short stories. I'm going to publish it all in the Library of Congress just in case the story ever does become public that my story will be proof like um contemporaneous proof that it really that it really happened mm-hmm. and um that's exactly what did happen i was i had just reopened the kitchen and i hadn't hired on a waiter yet or a waitress and um for some reasons um i was back in the kitchen i was watching a, a golf channel because golf you know the golf golf channel is almost always on at the golf course and I, I walked out, and for some reason, CNN was on. I was like, what? Who turned up? And, and then I saw what was on CNN, and it was the uh, the Tic Tac video. Oh, my goodness. Now, I, had seen, I had had that same video the very next day after this in my email. I, so I, I instantly knew what I was looking at. Sure. I was a shock. I dropped the plate of food and started crying. Oh, was, my goodness. What? So this was in 2017. This was in 2017 that you saw it, obviously, because that's when the story broke. Of course, Leslie Keene broke the story in the Times. So, yeah. Wow. Dave, Dave, I got to go home. I got to go home. I'll explain later. I took off, went home, jumped on the Internet. I wanted to see what the hell was going on, right? And um, Robert Powell, he's an associate with the Scientific Coalition UFOlogy SU. He had put it on YouTube already, so I went to the YouTube chat, and I dropped the chat. I said, hey, Robert, man, I don't know you. You don't know me, but I was there, and you got to call me because I can validate that this really happened. I can tell you the background on it. So he obviously, he's no, he, um, we trade information. We start talking, and that got me um, into a group on Facebook um, called ATIP, just like the Pentagon program, mm-hmm. um, um, named after it. And from from that group of people and and one of one of them was his name was Dave Beatty. Um, he ended up doing the Nimitz Encounter video on YouTube that everyone's probably seen. And if you haven't, if um, for those listening, if you just go to YouTube and do a search for the Nimitz Encounters, you'll you'll see the video. We'll find a link. Um, there's interviews on there. Yeah, we'll find a link. Very and put very. It. Yeah, we'll make so sure. We'll long story short, is um, we have now formed a nonprofit um, called UAP Expeditions, and I've got some of the um, top scientists in our nation on our team, believe it or not. Uh, physicists, um, I've got some Silicon Valley backers. Um, I'm not going to drop any names here, if that's okay for now. Absolutely. Because I'll, I'll end up missing some people and they'll get mad at me, so it's better just <laughs> not to say any names, maybe. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, send you, I'll send you the documents when we're done. Um, we've got doc, This is all documented. Great. And um, we, we are going to uh, fill, we're going to rent two research ships. We're going back out to Southern California, um, COVID-19 permitting, of course, in December. And we're going to anchor one of the ships, um, vicinity, San Clemente Island. The other one's going to be underway. And we've, we're loading up these ships with a bunch of brand new technologies. Um, I'll, I'll just give you one example. One, one of the devices that we have, you can look, it's a night vision thing. You can look at, see, it's an airplane. And it'll turn that image of the airplane into a sound file. Hmm. And then you turn that sound file back into an image. And we're trying to figure out some way, okay, if we do find these things, how can we maybe use that to maybe even communicate with these things? Because we, I'm convinced that um, these things are real, number one. They are, they are real. And I believe that they're findable. And I also believe that they're knowable. We can figure out what the hell this stuff is. Mm-hmm. And we're going to go try. We're, um, we're still in the organization and planning phases of everything. Um, um, uh one of the professors at CUNY, um, physics, uh, quantum physicist at the university there in Albany, mm-hmm. he's on our grant program through his physics lab, and um, 
we're coming online with some uh, crowdfunding oh, sources so we can get the money just to fund and luckily you know our whole everyone's doing this for free we're all volunteers so all of our costs are um, logistics you know airplane tickets hotels mm-hmm. rental type of stuff rental of the ships and this is a non-profit kevin right is it a 501c3 wholly non-profit okay. yeah Great. Fully nonprofit. I, I wouldn't be doing this at all to to make money. Right. Not no, I remember. You, it, yeah. I think I remember you uh, with the documentation that you sent me. That I, I saw that it was a, I believe, a five hundred one c three. Let us know if there's anything we can do to help with that. We're, we'll be talking obviously uh, after this day is over. So um, yeah. Well, one thing I'll just put a marker in right now. Once we do get the crowdfunding online, I, I will need some help promoting that just okay. to make sure we have enough money to pull this off. Consider it done. Yeah, all, all of our um, equipment's being donated to us for free because one of the things we told some of these technology developers, hey, um, we'll test and evaluate your gear for free, and everyone really liked the sound of that. So we've got a whole bunch of uh, some really cool technologies because it, what I think happened in 2004, um, I think it was a result of a, a technology upgrade that the ship in the strike group had received, and it was top secret at the time. I didn't even know it. Ha- I didn't even know it had happened because I only had a secret clearance. I think that new technology suddenly allowed us to see something that maybe has been there for a long, 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 mm. long time. Interesting. So that's why I believe that in a lot of the new technologies that we have on the we're going to have on the ships are uh, very, very similar to what the Navy now has fleet wide. And it also kind of explains why since 2004 there's been a lot of sightings because now um, we were the first test platform. Uh, now that technology is fleet-wide, so everyone's seeing these things now. You so, know, it said, it said, Kevin, that um, a sighting is reported every eight seconds globally now. I don't know when those numbers were recorded or since when. I know it's recent. Every eight oh, seconds. is a matter I know of, that. Yes. Oh, I didn't. Absolutely. Well, listen, I want to I want to come back to something that you said just um, triggered a thought in my mind. When you went into uh, you said you were watching you had the Golf Channel on, I believe. And interestingly, CNN ended up being on. And that's when you saw the Tic Tac, uh, the, the report on the Tic Tac video. All of these things that are happening. Make me wonder I wonder if you, at some very deep level, unbeknownst to you, had something to do with bringing this to the forefront. I'm not talking about any, this isn't a left brain thing. This is not a logic based thought, but something you connected to Kevin, based on that experience, it seems changed you and you became almost like a magnet for blessings or, or I, I, I don't even know what word to use, but I'm wondering, you, you seem to have an effect on you know, things around you. Do, do you know where I'm going here? I, I just feel it's like, hard. It's hard for me because I'm just a normal guy, man. I don't, I don't see myself as a, a messenger or a, well, maybe we I, all are though, but, but wait, you know, I get you're, you're a humble, humble person, and I want you to always stay that way. But, you know, when we have these experiences that are way beyond our comprehension, we don't understand what has happened and the mechanism that has made it so, but we know that we've changed. Or we know that something something 
has been brought out of dormancy that was maybe always there. See, I happen to think that all people are extraordinary and have extraordinary capabilities. You obviously included. And Me too. really, I, I, I do. And something, let's assume that whatever connected to you was intelligent. We call it, you know, I call it non-human intelligence. Open that door for you, Kevin, so that you would be a physical conduit for, I would call it the Midas touch conduit, uh, but not just about the, 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 the physical stuff. The, just the, look at all the beautiful things you're doing. But also, on some deep level, did your consciousness help to bring this story to the surface without anybody even realizing it, including you? Do you get I, what I'm saying here? Yeah, and there's a story that I want to tell you about that kind of, uh, that was a very nice segue to what I'm about to tell you. Mm-hmm. And I'm, this all leads back to the Valley Davis model. The, um, Jacques Vallée and Eric Davis are physicists. They wrote a paper called Incommensurability and the Physics of High Strangeness. And we'll, I'll get back to that in a minute. Okay. But I think it was like 2015, I, um, I was in my, my first house that I bought here um, for the $70,000 house. And I was over at one of my other friend's house, and I met these two guys there. That, and at the time, it seemed happenstance. But it, as it turns out, it wasn't. They showed up at my house the next day, and their cover story was, Hey, Kevin, um, we can't really tell you who we are, but we're from the government, and we saw your mining report on the Internet, and we want to train special forces down where your mining claim is because it's so damn rugged down there, and we want you to take us there. And I was like, I was suspicious right off the, you know, right off the front. But very curious what they wanted. I was I wanted to play along too, so I um, took them along with some other friends of mine, just in case I had something bad planned for me. And I took them back out there, and um, they never did tell me their true purpose, but they left a whole bunch of hints. So um, when this story broke on CNN and um, everything came to light, I was able to figure out their true purpose, it, which was. And their purpose was validated to me by Louis Elizondo, by the way. He hmm. told, when I told him this story that I'm telling you now, he said, yeah, I know them. I've exchanged emails with them. And they were at your house because of Tic Tac, Kevin, and it, because of the Tic Tac incidents. And one of the weirdest things that uh, Shakate told me, he went by the name of Shakate. The other guy was Forrest. And if they're listening now, I, if I saw him today, I'd give them both big hugs because hmm. they really helped me. He looked me in the eye, and it was, I think it was maybe the last thing he ever said to me. And he started almost crying. He was like, Kevin, you are incredibly important to what's about to happen. And i got to tell you, I thought he was crazy. I didn't know what the hell he was talking about at the time. Because, again, I, I didn't relate any of this back to the Tic Tacs yet. <clears throat> and, and when this story broke, um, I... Soon after I discovered, uh, I was, now, was, now I was part of the story again. So, of course, I learned about Valley Davis and the Valley Davis model. And for those that don't know what that is, um, they basically take um, uh, UAP UFO encounters and they break it into six uh, layers of mm-hmm. effects that happen, everything from the, the physical effects of what the craft itself is doing, like layers one, two, and three, and um, layers... Uh, Five and six, the layer five is the human effects. People get changed by this. Um, suddenly they can heal stuff. Um, they can seemingly manifest stuff. Absolutely, yes. Um, and um, layer six is what we're doing now. It's called social effects. Mm-hmm. This happening now is a social effect. And when I finally 
laid my eyes on that document, the light went on. I was fine. Everything came together. The puzzle was complete. I was able to figure out what the hell had happened to me and why I had changed. In a sentence, how would you describe what had happened to you? Now, we're talking about the after effects, but have you been able to well, this is, get your this arms is, around what happened to you? This, know that, um, because I didn't know what was happening to me, it damn near cost me my life. Um, um, you know, because it changed me and I was in the wilderness. I mean, I, I didn't mm-hmm. know what the hell was happening to me. And that's, that's if I have a message to that, it's if, if, um, if you encounter, happen to encounter these things, UAP, UFOs, it's going to affect you and it's going to, and it's going to change you. Yeah. It really is. And if I had known that that was going to happen, it would have been a lot easier to deal with. Right. But for some reason, you weren't meant to know. Let me ask you this uh, question, Kevin. Now, I know that what you witnessed when you were the radar operator and saw this, the, the Tic Tac, this was more than one day. This was several days, I believe. But oh, yeah. how how like- long, but, but here's my question. How long would you say each time you were in the midst of witnessing, how long did those intervals last at a time? Well, we were about 90 miles or so off the coast of uh, San Diego, down off to the southwest. And these objects would appear on my radar in the vicinity of uh, Catalina Island. And they, they appeared in groups of between five and ten at a time mm-hmm. over the maybe about ten days. And if I counted them all, if I counted all the objects up and added them all together, about 100 objects altogether. Wow. But how long um, did, would, let's say for on one particular day, you got a glimpse of these things. You obviously didn't let your eyes leave what you were watching. Do you recall about how long it lasted? Where they about were two hours. The, really? They were, approximately, they were approximately 100 miles to the north of us. And these things, the reason why they were weird is because, um, like the first group I saw was uh, 28,000 feet. They were tracking south, but they were only going like 100 knots, which is really, 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 really slow, slow for that altitude. Right. Well, listen. And they were tracking south again, you know, perpendicular to the prevailing winds. Right. So I was thinking to myself, what the hell flies like that? I've never. Right. I've been staring at Spy One radar for 18 years. Well, you're the one that said this is not Newtonian. This is not classic physics. But before I lose my thought, this is what I want to. Uh, bring up the reason why I asked you how long at a shot, let's say, these well, sightings would last. Well, I got news for you. And I'm going to give a shout out to Steve Mara, who uh, I haven't talked to for a while. I hope all is well with you guys over in the UK, Steve. Steve is a fantastic uh, paranormal investigator, uh, as well as UFO investigator out of the UK. And he is the one that let me know, first of all, about the sightings happening every uh, eight seconds now being reported. But he also brought up the idea Based on their research, what they have discovered is that anyone who has had a a, a sighting, just a sighting, you see a craft in the sky, UFO, UAP, for 10 minutes or more, the chances are high that it was more than a sighting, but a contact encounter. This is important, Kevin. This is the one thing that I have been itching to say to you. So after I, did, I discovered that you believed yourself to have some sort of an encounter, I had to know how long those, uh, how long you were witnessing these sightings. You're telling me two hours, and what I'm saying yeah. to you is ten minutes or more. And I don't know what the criteria that they were using to determine this, but what we're what we're talking about here is a very likely contact, a close, a very very, uh, perhaps even a close encounter. Have you been regressed yet? 
Have you thought about it? Have you done it? I've thought about it. Mary asked me if I wanted to do it, and at the time, the thought of doing it kind of scares me. Um, I'm not sure why. Maybe some, I'm going to have to. But Maybe I, you don't I would, need I would, to. I'm open to the idea of being regressed, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot to be discovered. But I have a feeling everything is unfolding in perfect timing for you, my friend. Really, this is brilliant. Continue. Tell us more. I'm going to shut my mouth. I just wanted to bring that up for you to chew on for yourself a little okay, bit. Okay. Um, so um, I hesitate to call myself a messenger because it just sounds so egotistical and stuff. It's just not who I am. But if I have a message, that's it. Um, folks, if you encounter these things and you your life starts to change, take heart because at the end of the journey, you're going to become a better person. Even though the journey itself can be rough, because it's going to change you and it's going to astonish you. Um, suddenly, you might be able to play basketball and you were a dork before, or play golf and you were a dork before. Or you can sing and carry a tune now where before you couldn't. Uh, all kinds of beautiful things. Um, and I think what happens is you touched on it earlier. I think um, for some reason it unlocks some latent abilities that are already in you. Absolutely, I believe. And that. there's a reason. I've been doing more and more research, and there's a there's actually a um, maybe even a scientific explanation of, of why this happens. There, apparently, in our brains, there's these little um, little bodies in our brains that are called mi- microtubules. Mm-hmm. I'm familiar a little and bit. They they vibrate at the quantum level for some, and I think that's what's happening. I think encounters with these things vibrates our microtubules at the quantum level, and it uncovers latent abilities in you when that happens. And the longer your exposure is to them, the greater the the uncovering, you know, the, the greater the effect. Mm-hmm. And that, here's an interesting thought too. Um, there's a lot of people wonder, okay, what the hell are the purpose of the pyramids? You know what I think the purpose of the pyramids were? I don't think those sarcophagi were for dying, and I think they were for lying. And I, I really do. I think I think they were spas. Uh, I, I think you go inside, you lay in there, and it full of 10,000 um, Egyptian cats. They all murmur, and it sets up a, a frequency, mm. a vibration in the pyramid, and it it vibrates the microtubules, and you, when you come out of the pyramid, you have abilities you didn't have when you walked into the pyramid. Interesting. I think it was a business model. Where did that and come from for you? How, where, where did you, what prompted you to start thinking about something like that? Really? <laughs> Well, you yeah, know, we all, if you want to... I if, download stuff, you know, I don't, like, <laughs> the mining stuff was all downloaded. I actually had a, um, mm. a no shit um, daytime vision, just like you would see in the movies, and when I finally figured out what had happened geologically. So, and that, that continues to happen to me. I um, I just, uh, I get um, realizations, I guess, I don't know what else to call them. So that's kind of where that comes, and I don't know if any, I don't, I don't know if the theory I just laid out is... I don't, yeah. I don't recall ever even hearing it before. Have yeah. you? It was call it. Say it again. The when you walk into a pyramid, you, um, the purpose of them was that you're to vibrate your microtubules. I had not heard that. No, not, I mean obviously there are theories surrounding the whole how the the pyramids were built and what they were actually used for. But that particular thing, no, I had not heard that. I don't think I ever have either. And it, it could be it could be total BS. I don't know, but it's just a, a hunch that I have. Well, I have a feeling. You know, they say let's honor that hunch, man. And I have a feeling that we 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 don't know, and it, perhaps it's neither here nor there at this moment in time. But you're just you're just having epiphanies. You're an epiphany 
magnet. You're just having epiphanies. I'm laughing, but it's it's serious. It's beautiful. You said it perfectly. Somehow, for for perhaps many of us, uh, Kevin, these experiences, and they happen in so many ways, are helping to take what we have innately out of dormancy. They've been atrophied and some agent comes in and awakens it. That's, that's what it seems like. When, don't worry about being looked at as a messenger. We're, that, those are just words. They're, they're just words. We're all messengers for, some, for something, right? That's a good we're yeah, all messengers. You are yep. indeed a messenger. And I love what you're doing. I think you're an amazing, amazing human being. Mm. And you're here and so for a reason. Hear that. You're it here it for- is. I'm just, I don't know. I'm just, I feel like I'm just a normal person, humble, you know? Well, you can be both. You're normal, you're humble, and you're amazing. How about that? Well, thank you. <laughs> Much appreciated. Listen, we're going to have to wind it down, man. But you know what? This has been great. And heck, okay, so we're back to our little, our audio uh, format. You know, we've been rolling out sort of new delivery uh, uh, models for our, for our audience and video. We were very happy about the video uh, approach that we've been using. But you know what? This worked out. It's been a relaxed conversation. It's been powerful. We're obviously going to have you back on the show. And next time, hopefully we can get our Skype together. But uh, I want to remind the journeyers that, you know, we've launched our Patreon platform and I'm so excited about it. And some of our guests have been gracious enough to give us a little extra time to talk about some stuff that they wouldn't normally talk about uh, to a larger audience. And so Kevin was also one who was kind enough to lend me another 15 minutes or so. So once you finish listening to this, I want you to come on over to patreon.com forward slash higher journeys and you will see. Come on out if you're a member already. Great. You, you, you got it. And if not, uh, please, please join us where our membership is growing. All right, folks, I don't know where we dropped off here. We got some weirdness going on. So what else is new? I was right in the middle of talking about my Patreon. I'm going to continue talking about it. Kevin's there. I'm here. High, high strangeness. <laughs> I call it high strangeness. <laughs> there, well, what are we talking about? I'm not surprised. It's all good. Anyway, we're going to wind down. We're going over to going on over to Patreon. I'm going to ask you to do the same. I'm going to say it again. It is www.patreon.com forward slash higher journeys. Come on over. Join us for the closed door chat. Kevin is going to give us a scoop on a couple of things he may not have talked about before, at least not too much. So, uh, Kevin, you going to join me? Going to do that? Yeah. What, when and where? <laughs> right after we well, you just said where. You... <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I got to go home. I got to run home. So Okay. Well, listen, we're going to sign up. About... The... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm about 10 minutes from my house, so maybe okay. like 15 minutes or so. Okay. Listen, final word, if you'd like to, to give a shout out to the journeyers, what, what would you leave them with, particularly in light of all that we're going through right now? What would you have to say? I would say start telling God thank you. I love it. Um, And, and when you say it, um, say it from your heart. And if you doubt me, watch it change your life. It, but you have to really mean it. it you, this isn't something you can fake. <laughs> and mm-hmm. if that's that's the only two words, at first that's the only thing I ever said to God. I would say thank you, God, and you know I'd really mean it. 
But now I also include the words use me. Use me. <clears throat> that's that's what I want to tell your listeners. Okay. Well said. Let's leave it there. Thank you, Kevin Day. Thank you for all you do. You're an agent of that source. Don't ever forget it. And so are you, journeyers, each and every one of you. You know, our shows are going to get deeper and deeper as the situation gets deeper and deeper. This is what we're here for. These conversations do matter. And you all matter. And we love you. So on that note, I'm going to say. I love you, too. All right. Okay, bye. Okay. Don't hang up, Kevin. Don't hang up. Wait a minute. Oh, okay, okay, okay. All right. Bye, Journeys. We'll talk to you soon.